JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 58 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about fleet intelligence with Jason Palmner from Omnitrax. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about a technology that is transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Goodness, another Friday. It's here. Rob, I'm coming camping in your neck of the woods in about uh, 45 minutes, brother. It's uh, going to be a wet weekend. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's going to be a wet weekend. I'm gonna I do- haven't even looked at the weather. We got a soccer tournament. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, 50, 50 to 80% chance of rain all weekend, but uh, that's okay. Uh, maybe your kids will be playing slip and slide in the mud, and I'm going to be uh, out, <laughs> out, out in the uh, Guadalupe River uh, uh, State Park uh, have, having some fun, but it's all. It's all good. We've had an incredible amount of rain in the south, uh, I'm sure. And there was some pretty, you know, we had 15 inches of rain in, 15 inches of rain in Baton Rouge. Uh, I, I have a feeling there are some insurance claims. In fact, I know there are some insurance claims for rising water over there because it, uh, it was pretty significant. Yeah, we have had some really uh, tremendous storms just west of us, actually. So we've gotten quite a bit of rain, but no major hail. I guess there was one event that we had some some hail, but, uh, yeah, West Texas has been crazy. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, check in with our guest, uh, Mr. Jason Palmer. Jason, where are you joining us from today? I am in Carlsbad, California, just oh. north of San Diego. Oh, buddy. I spent two weeks in Carlsbad in November for, uh, for some flight training. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I was at loft aviation. They have a big flight simulator, well, a set of flight simulators there yeah. that I spent, I spent two weeks getting a, a, a type rating in. had a great time in Carlsbad, stayed at the Del Rey, right there on the beach and uh just yeah. uh, just had the the best time i think it's my new favorite beach town in southern california <laughs> well i can from my house it's about three blocks to get to loft aviation there so yeah. it's it's really close yeah so you, you, you to watch the planes land all the time yeah right you uh yeah uh, I, I went to the uh the restaurant they have at the airport there and watched airplanes in and out yeah. while I had lunch. it was it was fantastic yeah that's really cool yeah i love it i love i love flying i love looking at airplanes love thinking about airplanes love talking about airplanes but this podcast is about insurance tech so i'm going to spare all of our listeners before we get started with the interview don't forget you, you can subscribe to the insure tech geek podcast by texting geek out to 66866 make sure you never miss an episode back to our guest jason palmer in beautiful carlsbad california yeah. uh just a, a beautiful part of the of the country, a uh, wonderful place to be. Um, let's talk about you before we talk about uh, you're, you're currently general manager of transportation intelligence and Omnitracks. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but uh, you are not a California guy. Uh, it looks no. like it looks like from your schooling at Oregon State, uh, you might be an Oregon guy. Yeah, I started uh, I, I've done six uh, different startup companies in uh, the Portland metro area. Uh, primarily focused on analytics and excited about to bring analytics disciplines to, you know, transportation. So I moved down to uh, Carlsbad to uh, work with SmartDrive, which was, you know, recently just merged with Omnitrax. That's awesome. Yeah, you were uh, president and CEO over at SmartDrive. But before all of that, right. before all of that, right. 
you got an yeah. e, you got an econ degree and a marketing degree from Oregon State. Now, when you're growing up as a small boy in Oregon, what what did you first off did you envision yourself as being one of the Goonies? Secondly, what did you dream of doing when you grew up? I got started in technology really early. I was actually born just south of Astoria there in Tillamook, Oregon, mm. uh, where Goonies was, Goonies was filmed. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I grew up in Portland, uh, was really into computer science and computer engineering and programming computers from the time I, you know, I was 10 years old and uh, really got into technology. And that was where you know, I started my career and kind of been there for 30 years now. Yeah, that's great. What, what drew you to technology in spite of getting, uh, getting, you know, cause I got an accounting degree, but was hooked on mm-hmm. technology from an early age. Uh, for me, it was yeah. just the, for me, it was the thrill of coding. I loved writing code and seeing it do stuff. What, what was it for you about technology yeah. that really drew you in? Well, my, my father was, um, ran for the Portland school district, ran all of the computer, um, infrastructure and programs and set up the computer labs and things uh, for the Portland school district. And so I always had, the latest and greatest uh, PCs at home to to play with and tinker around with. And so uh, that was part of what really got me started. But I loved coding. I loved debugging programs, writing software. Um, and so that, you know, that got me started from an early age. That's awesome. So walk me through what led you to Smart Drive and, of course, now OmniTrax. What was the what was the path mm-hmm. that, that, that you wound up in, in telematics and, and really getting into transportation intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, early on in my career, I was really fascinated with how I could apply technology to kind of traditional disciplines. And so, you know, one of my first positions, you know, back in, you know, the early nineties was really, (laughs) I learned some great things from some catalog marketers and people were just starting to have email and, and, um, fax numbers. And so what we would do is we would go out, we would buy lists and market software, uh, the software we were selling uh, to different constituents. We'd look at the response rates. We'd track it on 800 numbers, um, you know, mail-in forms, faxes. And I really, and, and then fine tune, what was the response rate? How did they do? And that started to parlay into, um, well, as the internet started to come up in kind of the mid-90s and the Palm Pilot came out, I actually worked for a company and, and that that wrote the soft desktop sync software uh, for the Palm Pilot, and Whoa, we set so up an e-commerce site. I was an early user, an early adopter. Yeah. I had that. I think it was called yeah. Palm, Palm Sync or something. I don't remember what it was called, but I had. Yeah. It. I used that. Yeah. I love the, the software. Palm. I love Palm Pilot. Yeah, and so you know, we would you'd learn the Palm Pilot graffiti. Do you remember that? And so enter all your contacts, and I got really proficient with that. But but what I learned is we set up the first e-commerce site. And, you know, traditionally we would send out these direct mail pieces and, and I started to learn, well, I could just email people and, uh, and sell them on Palm Pilot. And so we kind of built out this, you know, in 1995, uh, you know, e-commerce site to sell Palm Pilots. And then I started to learn, well, you know what, I sold all these people a Palm Pilot and the sync software that went with it. I could sell them a case. I could sell them accessories. And so, we kind of started to build this this business, and that led me, you know, that we sold that business to to uh, Qualcomm, and I stayed on for a while and worked on the, you know, the first Palm Pilot, um, you know, phone that they built. Uh, but I saw the huge opportunity in e-commerce, and so we started to take that discipline and the analytics that we were using 
and and start to apply that to the e-commerce space. And that was how I ended up at 800.com, which eventually became 800 Electronics. And we became the largest um, consumer electronics e-commerce site in the U.S. and sold Sony and Toshiba and all those brands. And and um, and that was really exciting. But we used those same kind of analytics and disciplines to you know, start to advertise streaming video and banner ads and emails to kind of to build up that business. And so I learned a lot about web advertising and analytics and and we sold, you know, much of that company to uh, Circuit City at the time. And I moved on uh, to a, a company called Web Trends, where we really, you know, built out a software solution that managed email marketing advertising, you know, web advertising, targeting, and, wow. and we became the leading, you know, provider in that, that space. So now, so, so, so now, um, now, now, now I've tallied two organizations I've been a client of yours at, cause I used web trends. Ext- there you go. I, I used Palm Pilot extensively and I used web trends <laughs> extensively, both, both, fan- yep. both fantastic products, by the way. Um, I, I was a huge yeah, fan of both in web trends, web trends gave a level of data and insight that I hadn't seen at the time. I mean, it was a, yeah. It, it was really hot stuff when it came out. Yeah. And so, you know, we we uh, grew that business. And and as I kind of look for new ta- challenges and, you know, this was 2008, um, you know, in 2008 is when they sh- they first came out with the ECM protocols that really provided a robust set of data in um, that would come across the ECM. And so, um you know, this small startup that was in San Diego, it approached me and 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 some some uh, executives that I knew about, you know, really taking the data that we were getting off the ECM, combine it with video, combine it with telematics data information and create these really robust risk profiles and partner with Aon and Zurich and some of the leaders in, in the industry to really start to create this um, solution to really change how we manage safety, um, how we manage and mitigate collisions, uh, reduce collisions, and, and partner with insurance companies to really drive down, um, you know, collision frequency and improve overall safety. And so I was excited about this new data opportunity that we had um, and, and joined Smart Drive at that time. I think that's a great segue into Rob's question. Yeah, Jason, it's great to great to have you on the podcast. So uh, I'm an avid reader, probably no surprise to any of our, our listeners out there. And one of the books that I read um, this past uh, holidays was called The One Device. Uh, mm-hmm. It was about the invention of the iPhone. And they kind of hammer home the point, which I think is an important one, that you know, while we think of the iPhone as being this singular innovation, right, that's revolutionized, you know, mobile computing the last you know, dozen years or so, right? The iPhone itself is almost a, you know, hundreds if not thousands of inventions that have taken place over this is the, the half century, right? So it kind of all yeah. led up to this, you know, wonderful device now that we call an iPhone. So based on your website, Omnitrax has kind of a similar story. It talks about kind of 35 year journey from combining mm-hmm. transportation, data science, AI, machine learning. So I'd love to have you maybe yeah. share a little bit of that uh, history and everything that kind of went into the platform as it is today. Yeah, sure. And I have some a unique perspective in that when, you know, the company that when the company I was working for now software, you know, uh, was purchased by Qualcomm, I actually spent some time at Omnitrax and now I'm back at Omnitrax. And so my career has kind of spanned kind of the evolution of, of working in this space and, and, and working with Omnitrax. But, um, you know, the opportunity and why 
you know, Omnitrax looked at, at, it was partnered with Smart Drive initially and ended up, you know, acquiring Smart Drive was really the technology and the platform that's in, uh, in the vehicle, in the truck is really converging, right? There's a lot of different solutions that fleets now use that are all collecting data and information that ideally can be optimized and use artificial intelligence and machine learning to really take operational performance, safety performance to the next level. And so an example of that that we're doing um, is in the insurance industry, one of the big concerns for fleets is um, sitting ducks, the risk around having your truck or your vehicle parked on the side of the road um, and being struck by another truck, struck by another vehicle and that you know, resulting in a big claim. And so one of the things that fleets deal with is they certainly educate drivers about the risk, but they can't really tell when is that happening out on the road? Is it mechanical failure? Is the driver just out of hours? Um, Are they fatigued and they've pulled over? And how do they address that quickly to understand how to mitigate that risk? And so really the opportunity now is we converge multiple applications um, around a single hardware platform. We're now able to stream data to the cloud in real time and analyze where is that vehicle? Is it on the road? Where is it parked on the road? We have much granular GPS information. I can tell it's parked on the side of the on the parked on the side of the road. I then can go and look in hours of service information and see, oh, that driver is he out of hours, and that's why he's parked in this unsafe location, or is there a fault code coming off the truck, and now he's broken down on the side of the uh, on the side of the on the side of the road, and I can immediately using intelligence understand, okay, exactly who do I need to reach out to from the system standpoint within the company to resolve that situation and do that literally within a couple of minutes. And so that just brings technology to a new level in terms of how we can apply that intelligence, real-time streaming data, and and make it actionable for the fleet to help mitigate you know, new kinds of risk. It's pretty fascinating. Jason, I've been a big fan of a strategy I, I've... I've, I've um, Ran, run through uh, many, many times with, uh, with the speeches I've given in the insurance and construction industries because both have large fleets and need a lot of, have a large need for telematics of collect the data first, figure out what to do with it later. <laughs> That's what I always tell them. I said, yeah. look, if you can implement affordable data collection, do it now because once you mm-hmm. actually find an analytics platform that works for you, you, you will need the historical data to help you make better decisions. You don't want to have to wait a year to get a year of data. You'd really, it'd be good to have comparative data. And so the interesting thing is we have so many devices, largely because of this crazy, crazy convergence of like super low cost semiconductors, really, really low cost, small sensors, Mm -hmm. uh, really rapid data networks, you know, of course, 5G, you know, promises lower power consumption. We'll see if it actually ends up being that way. But, uh, you know, we have higher speed data connections for sure. And so now we just have this proliferation of exabytes of data, just exabytes of data. And so, so just the, sure. con- the concept really here is, and I want you to enumerate on this, that we're going to apply machine learning to the entire occurrence, the entire event, look at all the, mm-hmm. the, look at all the leading mm-hmm. factors and try and determine causality and then instead of just alerting people that something's happening, alert uh, the risk manager or alert the fleet manager that something's happening and give a probable cause, yes. right? So you're taking it a step farther right. to probable yep. causality, correct? Yeah, and I think that's where it gets, you know, Gartner has a model where they talk about um, everything from, you know, descriptive analytics to per, 
prescriptive analytics to prognostic analytics. And it's kind of along this continuum. And what you're describing there is really what I refer to as prescriptive analytics. There's so much data now that you're analyzing. And the the most important thing to do is not just put reports in front of people. You want to be prescriptive and you want to tell somebody exactly what they need to do when. But you want to take that whole continuum and apply machine learning and AI to improve it over the continuum so that your real-time alerting is that much better. And so if, if we look at that and think about um, prescriptive analytics and the sitting duck example I just gave, you want to, if they're, if they're down because of a mechanical issue, I want to, you know, notify maintenance. I don't want to notify the wrong person. And I want to tell maintenance exactly what that issue is, where the closest place to get that fixed is, and then direct the driver to that location or have that location reach out to them. And so you're being very prescriptive with what exactly they need to do. Instead of giving them too much information, you want to give them just enough. But if we think about, if we think about, um, there's another, you know, solution that we've been working on where we think about machine learning and AI, but you're going to take a look at all the collisions. We have database of, you know, a half a million collisions that we've collected over the last um, 12 years. And our driving analysts look, review those, look at those, categorize those, understand what that risk is, know exactly where that location is. But we're constantly feeding that root cause information of what those collisions are to then create better real-time feedback to the driver of, hey, for this type of location, how fast should be you going? You need to increase your following distance because you're coming up to a curve. And you know X percent of drivers, when they're going around that curve, actuate stability control. So you want to make sure that you slow down so we can get much more intelligence in real time and prescriptive in what we're telling drivers to help mitigate risk. But we're going to leverage information that we're analyzing and collecting over months and years to make continue to make that, you know, perform so much better. Awesome. Rob? Yeah. So uh, I know we've talked on several uh, previous episodes about telematics, about computer vision and, and many technologies kind of in the auto mm -hmm. insurance space. But what we're talking about here has to do with commercial fleets. And so I'm just kind of curious, maybe you can, um, mm -hmm. just for our audience, like what are some of the unique things about well, fleets as opposed to kind of your standard personal auto insurance? Well, I think as we, it, you know, as we look at continuum, you know, in some of our, you know, our next gen, you know, work that we're doing, you know, where Omnitrax is traditionally focused in kind of the heavier commercial fleet, we see more in last mile, you know, and passenger vehicle, um, you know, type analytics. And, and certainly, you know, one of the biggest things that we see that's, you know, improved safety in the last three years is implementation of, you know, automatic braking systems. And so, you know, we worked with the IHS to really understand you know, how well are those performing and what type of collisions are they helping to mitigate? And that's really where, again, some prescriptive analytics, but in that case, it's a prescriptive system, is notifying the driver, you know, uh, of, the, of the impending risk and helping them to break. And so, you know, that study that IHS did that we participated in, you know, for consumer vehicles, you know, we saw, they saw a 56% reduction in rear end crashes. So we can see that that type of technology, even on passenger vehicles, as well as heavier vehicles, has really helped to mitigate, you know, these rear end collisions. I think the, the other piece is we kind of look towards the future, 
you know, we're spending a lot of time and OEMs are spending a lot of time on the safety, on the safety side, starting to do a lot more simulation in addition to kind of test track. And now that we have more data available, it used to be you would take the, <laughs> the new Mustang that's coming out, you take it out to the test track and you drive it around the test track and you check the braking and, and maneuverability of it. And now what we're seeing with, with the increase in technology is um, we have a team at, at Omnitrax where we actually build simulations that we then test those vehicles against. So the collisions that are happening out on the road, we take that video information and what we know about collisions and we convert that into a simulation. So now not only are you doing test track simulation, you know, for that vehicle, whether it's a heavy vehicle or a light vehicle, but we're replicating um, what we see in the real world and building these simulations out of it that now you can do kind of the digital clone of those collisions and see how different systems that are now embedded in the vehicle are helping to mitigate those collisions. And I think we'll just continue to see this kind of digital twin type testing really increase. But that, you know, that's a great example of where we're taking kind of real world information and building these next generation technologies to really, you know, help just test vehicle safety in ways that we've never done that before. Very cool. Thank you. Um, great discussion there. Let's talk about the human side for a second. How do people feel about being tracked and analyzed and collected? And uh, this is this is a perpetual issue I've run into. I've been writing software for 30 years now, uh, started in 1991. So uh, and I've, I've been in this business for 20 years and uh, have run across this many, many, many times uh, building technology uh, that uh, there's uh, there's human opposition to to oversight. There's human opposition to technology managing people there's you know there's 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 definitely a, a group of folks out there who who bristle at um at what mm-hmm. what some of this really implies for their job have you run into that opposition and if so how have you uh, helped win hearts and minds on that that area so one it's important to be uh as transparent as you can about what you're collecting what you're collecting on an individual basis but then you know what you're collecting in aggregate and then how that information is being used, and especially for whether it's the insurance company that's collecting it or the um, fleet is collecting it, um, how are you, how does that benefit the consumer, the, the the driver who is you know submitting that that information? And so, you know, in our case at Smart Drive and at Omnitrax, you know, being able to you know we're helping to exonerate drivers in the case that there's a collision or a fraudulent claim that's out there. We're going to provide that record that they can use to show they were doing definitively everything that they were supposed to, and it was the other party's fault. And so, you know, that's a key component of it um, that we use to help them. We're also collect, you know, we're collecting information in real time, but we're also, you know, sharing that across the population of the solution to really help with intelligence to to better inform the driver, um, whether it's a passion vehicle or or, or a heavy duty vehicle of what are the road risks that are out there? What should they be aware of? And, you know, how do they, we use that information to prescribe to them how they might drive safer in those particular conditions. That's awesome. And, and, and it, it kind of strikes me as being similar to uh, at least the example you gave to body cams for police officers that yeah. so, so so much of this data collection is being used to defend their actions. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yeah. you know, claims are pretty severe. I was a city councilman for two terms and, you know, yeah. a, lot, a lot of claims against police officers and, 
you know, body cameras, yeah. re- body cameras resolve a lot of them. Yeah. You know, mo- most of them, because you can just pull the footage on what happened. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. it's a much, much different situation. Uh, last question uh, before we jump in the news, Rob. Yeah, Jason. So uh, I noticed that you guys had a, a big announcement recently that a company called mm-hmm. Solera is actually going to be acquiring Omnitracks. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you can comment on that at all and, and kind of what the future holds for Omnitracks. You know, Solera is a it is a company that's you know in the audit industry, and they have some deep roots in analytics and data. So we're excited about uh, you know potentially what the what the two companies can do together. But you know, we're kind of early stages of working through that process. But we're certainly excited about you know what the future holds from you know bringing two industry leaders together. Um, Dealer Socket is also part of that that merger, and so. Um, there's three of us that are kind of being folded together. So we're really excited, you know, as an executive team of what we might, you know, be able to accomplish together as we, again, kind of move the industry forward with really advanced analytics and, and kind of bring these different solutions together. So very excited about that. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to jump in the news. I've got two, uh, two items before I hand it off to Rob. First, uh, Wells Fargo led a $50 million round in InsureTech company Super. Uh, this was announced just seven hours ago as of this podcast recording on Friday, May 21st. Uh, and so we, we, we're seeing a good bit of money. This brings their total funding up from 30 to $80 million total. So they, it's a pretty significant increase in the amount of uh, pow- dry powder on hand they've got. Uh, and certainly they're going to be investing it in growth initiatives uh, you know, building a full full stack uh, insurance business, uh, insure tech business, and so there's some good quotes in here on the uh, on the release. But uh, but you know, if, if you haven't followed um, Super, it they they say, uh, and this is just their quote: it's the first modern home care solution um, that has uh, leveraged data and technology, uh, proving to be a game changer for homeowners seeking to protect their home. And that was from uh, one of the nation, nation's largest residential brokerage firms. And so they're really taking a uh, here's a different stab on what we would call, I guess, a home warranty. Um, it's a it's a pretty interesting uh, business, Rob. Uh, pretty pretty large amount of money coming into this one from Wells Fargo. Yeah, that's an interesting one, James, because I don't know that we've I've seen Wells Fargo in a lot of these other deals. So the fact that they're leading that round is very interesting. And yeah, the home space is is hot, right? We see companies like Hippo kind of you know moving into that space with the Hippo Home Care and. Uh, other uh, products. I know uh, we've had some previous conversations with guests uh, about you know the residential uh, space as well. So not a, a big surprise there at all. And it'd be interesting to see you know down the line if that uh, gets paired with any type of IoT offerings. As we've talked to guests in the past about that uh, and those possibilities as well. Sure. And uh, and in, in a second funding announcement, uh, Boost got a $20 million Series B. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Hippo because, uh, and this is the direct quote from the press release, Boost powers dozens of digital distribution clients across all industries and stages, including Hippo, Aeon's Cover Wallet, Cowbell Cyber, Wagmo, and others. And so, uh, you know, there's InsureTechs behind InsureTechs. I think that's another important one to uh, to remember. Yeah, absolutely. Boost got a, a $20 million Series B boost. <laughs> Sorry. I'd throw in my obligatory <laughs> uh, dad joke for the week. Funding jokes, dad jokes. That's the best. Uh, and uh, and on to your news, Rob. What do you have this week? So, uh, you know, James and, and Jason, I've got a couple on the, the human element side of things this week. Um, first is from Bloomberg. And uh, there's a great quote from a professor at Texas A&M talking about uh, a theme I think we're going to hear a lot more about called the Great Resignation. 
of now that we're all getting our vaccines and and kind of returning to business as normal, you're going to see this wave of employees that are uh, feeling a little bit more secure about their position in life and quitting job. Maybe, you know, they've they've toughed it out. They didn't want to, you know, be unemployed during this time of economic uncertainty. Maybe they still wanted to have access to reliable healthcare, you know, lots of reasons for it. But I think it's a very interesting, certainly uh, applicable to the insurance industry. I've heard other insurance companies have been offering early retirement. We know the industry is graying, et cetera. So don't know how many of these people are leaving the industry entirely or how many of these people are going to be starting their own insure tech startups. Uh, but I think it's a, a fascinating trend to uh, to watch. It actually has some some tips in there if you're in listener land and uh, thinking about quitting uh, your job. And then the other article that I've got talks about the difference between extroverts and, and introverts. And I actually thought of you, James, I think you're more on the extrovert scale. I'm more on the introvert scale. And the author talks about the difference between what he uh, affectionately calls dogland and catland. So, hey, we live in an extroverted world, all those in-person events we've talked about and other things. And, you know, extroverts tend to you know, it's proven statistically through surveys, they're they're happier than introverts. And but yet with all this kind of lockup, stay-at-home culture, he says we've all moved from dogland to catland over the last year. And and all those kind of extroverts out there have you know really been chafing at the bit to kind of get back out there. Don't like all the rules and the regulations, but introverts haven't really minded it. And so again, as things open up and we kind of revert back to from catland to dogland, it'll be interesting. And you know, I was actually talking with my my wife, James, even about, you know, some employees, they, they want to stay remote, right? Others are, are really excited to move back to the office environment. Are you going to see this bifurcation for all the extroverts are going back to the office and all the introverts are going to stay working from home if they can? So I think that's another uh, fascinating trend to, here, to watch as we open up. Here's an interesting one for you. Two of my biggest introverts were the first two to come back to the office. And, and it was, it was an interesting, uh, cause they were tired of all the kids and dogs being up in their business. (laughs) And so they actually needed some solitude at the office. And, uh, and so, uh, go, go wrap, go wrap your head around that one for a second. Uh, they, they don't like to, uh, they don't like to go, uh, they don't like to, to go to conferences but they do like the privacy of their office and that they get a, a change in scenery and people aren't up in their business. So, uh, yeah. you know, both your articles are about changing times. And uh, I'll say, first off, the, insu- the, the, the technology labor market has been white hot for a, a, over a year now. And um, I didn't see a slowdown in, uh, I would say, employee churn during COVID. Um, I, I saw an acceleration a year ago. Um, and so, that's that that's already happened in, in technology labor. Uh, as far as introverts and extroverts, yes, I have been super eager to get back to conferences. My first one is the construction risk conference coming up for risk managers and construction going on Bonita Springs in about two weeks down. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there with bells on. I am excited. I've already arranged dinners. I've already made my reservations. I already got my hotel room. I am fired up. Uh, I already started attending local chapter meetings that have been going on, especially since I live in the great state of Texas where things have been open for two months and actually two and a half months. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's been it's been really quite amazing how well we've been vaccinating everybody and uh, everything's been wide open. It's been uh, awesome because certainly I had a lot of pent up frustration around that. Uh, I've been uh, I took up uh, I took up something that definitely I would not have taken up before I ha- before I had the vaccine. I, I took up jujitsu. And so I have been. Uh, 
And if you know anything about jujitsu, it is the opposite of social distancing. It, it is literally the art of how to get all up in someone's business. And, uh, and so I, I, have been having a, a, a very good time. I'm excited. We're back to uh, Dogland. Maybe that's why I love dogs so much because it is so dang friendly. They just like to get out there. Not, not a cat guy, but it, but it is an interesting time. And, uh, and Rob, thank you for bringing this up. Absolutely. Yeah. Jason, I'm curious, where are you on the introvert extrovert scale and how are things open up in California? Uh, well, things that, you know, the last few weeks it's got, it's definitely been a change. I actually spent my first, I'm at home today, but I spent the last four days in the office and, you know, we flew in, um, the team from Texas, from Omnitrax and people that I hadn't met before that we've been doing zoom calls every day, you know, showed up in the office this week. And so it was great. Went out to dinner with the, you know, 40 people on Thursday night. So, you know, it just is, it's so exciting and so nice to start to get back uh, to, you know, back to normal. So we were, it, it was great to see everybody else in the office too. I, I typically am somewhat of an in, introvert, but, you know, it's hard to be definitely an extrovert when it comes to talking about, you know, this type of stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And Jason, thank you for joining us and having this, uh, this yeah, good, thank good, you. good discussion on everything. Really appreciate it. Rob, always good to see you. Likewise, James. Yes. Likewise. Exciting that summer's coming. That's great. And uh, again, thank you out there. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. Uh, it is all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. Along with my co-host, Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kira Dalton, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.